I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Stefan Schwitter, Head of Investment Solutions at Siba Bank in Switzerland. And we're talking about crypto, digital assets. Let's begin with the regulation of digital assets. There are a number of jurisdictions, including Europe and the US, that are making progress on how to regulate digital assets. This is obviously a key step in wider and broader acceptance of digital assets? Regulation is a huge topic in digital assets or, or, or crypto. And, you know, Seba, the company I work for, we are predominantly a B2B bank. So we talk to family offices, asset managers, institutional clients like banks, and, and they want a safe bridge into this new asset class. They don't want to experiment with asset classes that, that are not regulated properly. So what we're seeing is sort of three speeds in the regulatory environment. We have Europe and, and you know, part of Europe is Switzerland. So Switzerland has a very forward-looking DLT-based regulatory regime, which gives a lot of confidence. And that's, that's also why we have a banking license for, for crypto banks in Switzerland. And then Europe is moving to a fairly similar regime quite digital asset friendly, but we're looking at 2023. So I think Europe overall is is doing well on the regulatory regime. Then we have the US, which has done tremendous work on going from, you know, a patchwork where you have certain states like Wyoming or Texas that are super friendly to crypto, and then you have other states that are less so. And the work that's being done is more to harmonize that and regulate stable coins, regulate exchanges that deal with crypto and regulate the entire space. And I'd say bottom line is it's going in the right direction. And then a third speed, which I would call it, it's more of a mixed bag, is Asia, greater Asia. Some countries are very digital asset friendly. Some have outright bans on digital assets and crypto. So I would say that's more of a mixed bag in Asia. So you have th- you have three speeds in this, Robin. Ciba Bank itself was recently awarded a license enabling it to custody digital assets for funds. What's the significance of that step? What does it mean for the bank and for the market at large? In terms of having the value chain more and more parts of the value chain for digital assets, so that the custody, the offering, the product, more and more of these components of the value chain are being regulated. And and Switzerland is doing a a very decent job here, uh, doing some pioneer work. So as a company, we decided to be a fully regulated bank. And then we see that a number of components of the value chains are being regulated as well. So SIBA was the first uh, regulated bank to, to be able to offer managed accounts in crypto, for example. That was a year ago. And as you said, we got the, the CISA license to do custody on digital asset funds, on regulated funds. We got that license about uh, two months ago. And what it does is two things. As I said, it regulates more and more of the value chain. So it gives comfort and ease of use to institutional clients. And in terms of the other thing it does, it it opens the door to this asset class, to institutional-grade clients. There are a number of client segments 
that are already participating in crypto. And of course, it's retail, but it's also banks, asset managers, and family offices. But on the institutional side, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, overall, they are not participating, but they're on the fence and, and looking at the space and, and looking at fully regulated ways to participate. And dealing with a fully regulated company like SEBA, for example, and buying a fully regulated fund in crypto opens the door to these client segments. There's another step the bank's taken. You launched a crypto yield platform. What is a crypto yield platform? What does it do for me as an institution, for example? The short answer is it it gives you yield. And and as you know, nothing else does, right? Or very little uh, gives you yield. Now, I have to unpack this because there's no yield without risk. So all of us have been struggling with an environment that offers no yield or very little yield and too much risk to to access that yield. And along comes a new asset class. The first iteration of digital assets is crypto. Going down the line, it's going to be more than crypto. But right now, we're talking about crypto. So this is a new asset class and people are excited about it because it offers performance. It offers diversification because the correlation between crypto and you know, your equities and your fixed income is almost zero. Now we also have crypto offering yield. And our platform, the SEPA Earn platform, offers a couple of ways to access that yield. One is the staking uh, avenue. So a number of protocols, proof of stake protocols, offer very interesting staking rewards. I'd like to mention uh, Polkadot, for example. I mean, Polkadot's a very interesting protocol in terms of allowing interoperability between blockchains. And it also offers staking yields of 12, 13% a year. That's a really, I mean, we're talking double digit yield. And that, of course, comes with certain risks. It I was going to say the, that must come with double digit risks then. It does come with significant risks, but. On balance, it's a very, very interesting component to add to your portfolio if if you have the the risk appetite. So what are the risks? The risks are in this particular protocol, you're locked, right? So you're giving away your coins for 28 days and you can't just give them away and take them back the next day. So you have a, a lockup period of 28 days. You have to look at it like getting a dividend from a growth stock. You know, the stock or the protocol in this sense is still going to go up and down big time. The volatilities are very, very high, right? So the protocol can go up by 100%. It can go down by 80%. Uh, you know, it has happened in the past. But if you're very optimistic on, on a certain protocol and you're saying, I'm allocating X amount and I'm, I'm looking to hold this for the next couple of years, and look, I'm, I'm also getting paid staking rewards for holding this protocol. So we're making more and more protocols available for staking. And that could be Polkadot, Tezos, Cardano, Avalanche, Solana. That's a fairly new development that is now available to qualified and institutional investors. And, and the second major part of the SEBA Earn platform is decentralized finance. There's a lot we could unpack in, in DeFi, as, as, as it's called. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a borrowing and lending mechanism 
that is not done by you know your typical bank around the corner, but it's done by protocols. That's that's the short version. And in borrowing and lending crypto, you know you you can get five percent, seven percent yield on stable coins, for example. Now again, there's risks. There, there's counterparty risks. There's the normal risks of lending money to someone else. So there's a number of risks, but if you deal with a licensed company like ourselves, if you deal with the right whitelisted platforms, it offers you decent single-digit returns at okay risk. Well, you mentioned stablecoins there. The holy grail of stablecoins, if I can put it that way, would be a central bank digital currency. Mm. Uh, You've been involved as an institution in some of the tests that have been going on. How do you see CBDCs evolving and who's going to be first? So as you mentioned, Robin, we, uh, Sebo Bank was involved with the Banque de France to work on their, their programs there on, on tokenization and CBDC. In general, we think it's an excellent use case for digital assets. 80%, so four out of five central banks are working on their own uh, CBDCs, right? That could be China, Sweden, Switzerland. The US, four out of five are working on it. Now, in terms of what it's going to be and whether it's going to complement or be in direct competition with the protocols I just mentioned or with Bitcoin, our view is that it's going to be complementary. And basically, a CBDC is going to be the electronic version of central bank money. It's entirely centralized. It's an e-dollar. It's an e-dollar, so it doesn't it doesn't pass the 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 test of well, is this protocol um, decentralized? Well, no, of course it's not. But it's going to do it's going to be very practical for the central banks to target inflation, to target certain segments of the population, to really understand where the money goes and what people do with the money, and that can be a little scary. But it's the way forward, and it's an excellent use case for digital currency. But it's not going to be in direct competition with things like Bitcoin, which is a store of value, or Ether, or any of the platform protocols. It's just going to be e-money, right, with all the pros and cons. You mentioned Bitcoin there as a store of value. I always have to ask this question. Is it really a store of value? Yes, it is. But you know, how do you define store of value for yourself, Robin? I mean, if, if you're saying store of value is something that, you know, doesn't fluctuate in value, it, it's it's not, right? It's far, far from it. It has 10 times the, the volatility of your typical equity investment. So if you're looking at it through this lens, it's absolutely not a store of value. It is a store of value in terms of that it's the currency of the blo- of the Bitcoin blockchain. And the Bitcoin blockchain has been around for 13 years and it's never been hacked, unlike a lot of other protocols. And it is, at, at the essence of it, it's really gold that you can email to other people. And we're seeing a lot of family offices work with Zebo Bank and we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of family offices building two, three, four percent allocations to Bitcoin oftentimes at the expense of gold. But they're saying it sort of looks like gold, but it's, it's a lot more practical. It can't do much. It can't do as much as ether, but it is like gold in terms of it can be an inflation hedge. I don't have to carry around gold bars uh, in, in case of emergency. 
So in a sense, it, it's gotten to a point where a lot of investors look at it as a modern form of gold. Well, we are no longer perhaps at the very start of this journey into digital assets, but we're not very far down the road. Do you have a, a clear picture of how you think things will look in 10 years' time? 10 years' time is a, is a, is a long time um, <laughs> <laughs> in this space. I mean, I've I spent 25 years on the traditional finance space in, 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 in trading and, and, and wealth management. Uh, and, and I've been in, in this space for a couple of years now. And the way things move and develop is just breathtaking. So, yes, 10 years, fine. I, w- I, would, I would expect that in, even in five years, the space has evolved well past crypto. I think people sometimes make the mistake and say, well, this whole blockchain and digital assets. And we ask for blockchain and all we got is crypto, right? I think five years from now, there's so much more in digital assets. There's there's an entirely new asset class that, where intellectual property, real estate, all kinds of music rights and things like that have been tokenized and digitized and live and move on, on a digital ecosystem. So we're really, we're going to be talking about digital assets and crypto is going to be a part of it, a sizable part of it. But I think I'm very much looking forward to, yes, it's crypto now and, and crypto is going to grow and crypto is going to have a place in in people's portfolio, somewhere between one and 5%. But then in five years time, people will have digital assets in their portfolio and crypto is going to be part of that. I think that's that's the next iteration of DLT-based, blockchain-based development. Stefan Schwitter, Head of Investment Solutions at Ciba Bank, thank you very much.